0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. We always appreciate you uh, taking time to join us. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition, Israel's President Isaac Herzog spoke to a special joint session of Congress earlier today.
2: Standing here today representing the Jewish Democratic State of Israel in its 75th year at the very podium from which my late father, President Chaim Herzog spoke, is in the honor of a lifetime, and I thank you allheartedly for it.
1: Well, President Herzog also addressed the elephant, or should I say donkey, in the room.
2: Mr. Speaker, I'm not oblivious to criticism among friends, including some expressed by respected members of this house. I respect criticism, especially from friends although one does not always have to accept it. But criticism of Israel must not cross the line into negation of the state of Israel's right to exist.
1: Well, President Herzog was responding in part to a comment last weekend from Washington State Congresswoman Paul, who called Israel a racist state. Now, Jayapal attempted to walk the comment back. However, House Republicans put Democrats on the spot this week by advancing a resolution declaring support for Israel. We'll get a reaction on the speech from Oklahoma Senator James Lankford in just a moment. You know what? The Biden White House also has its own Israel problem, refusing to meet until this week with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. So how are Israelis interpreting these events? We're going to be joined by CBN's Middle East Bureau Chief, our good friend Chris Mitchell, live from Jerusalem, a little later here on Washington Watch. And as we were discussing yesterday, the important National Defense Authorization Act is now in the hands of the U.S. Senate.
3: Here in Congress, we have a tremendous opportunity before us to demonstrate our commitment to Israel by prioritizing American strength with the India.
1: That was Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell earlier today on the Senate floor. We're going to get an update on the NDAA from Utah Senator Mike Lee later on Washington Watch. And on the House side, an explosive hearing today in the House Oversight and Accountability Committee that heard from government whistleblowers who have come forward to say that Hunter Biden was protected from prosecution.
4: The Justice Department allowed the president's political point to use a weigh in on whether they're charged the president's son. After United States Attorney for D.C. Matthew Graves, appointed by President Biden, refused to bring charges in March 2022, I watched United States Attorney Weiss tell a room full of senior FBI and IRS senior leaders on October 7th, 2022, that he was not the deciding person on whether char- charges were filed. That was my red line.
1: That was IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley earlier today in the committee hearing. We're going to get an um, inside view from the Michigan Congresswoman Lisa McClain, who was a part of today's hearing, she's going to join us later on this edition of Washington Watch. And good news from Louisiana. Thanks in part to those of you listening and watching in Louisiana that responded to our call to action. Yesterday, the Louisiana legislature voted to call themselves into an override session, a veto override session, and then they voted to override Democrat Governor John Bell Edwards' veto of the state's SAFE Act. Now, that was a measure that protected minors from experimental drugs and surgeries that the transgender activists are pushing. That makes about 20 states that are now protecting young people. The author of the measure, State Representative Gabe Ferment joins us later on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Luke chapter 11, verse 23. He who is not with me is against me, Jesus said, and he who does not gather with me scatters. There is no despiritualized zone. There is no neutrality when it comes to God. We're either for him or against him. The claim that one is open-minded is to be open to what Jesus describes next in verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through the dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. As we're seeing in our nation today, if God and his word are expelled, something else will fill the void, and it will not be good. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, as I mentioned, Israeli's President Isaac Herzog addressed a joint session of Congress this morning with a speech meant to convey the strength of Israel's democracy while also emphasizing the special bond between the United States and the Holy Land. Congress invited Herzog to commemorate the 75th anniversary of modern-day Israel's founding, but his speech, which also touched on threats from the Iranian regime, came just a day after nine Democrats in the House of Representatives voted against the measure declaring U.S. support for Israel. Joining me now to discuss this and more regarding Israel is Oklahoma Senator James Lankford. He serves on four committees, including the Senate Intelligence Committee and the Senate Committee on Homeland Security. He is also the co-chair of the Senate Abraham Accords Conference. Senator Lankford, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Great
3: to see you, Tony. Uh,
1: First, your reaction today to the speech by Israel's president.
3: Yeah clear good speech obviously the president of israel is going to come and present israel and our partnership and friendship but he was really good about talking about you know uh, the united states recognized israel literally 11 minutes uh, after Israel declared itself an independent country, the United States was the first nation to be able to jump in and say, we recognize Israel. We've remained in that very strong partnership, regardless of governments and presidents. We have remain in a strong commitment to Israel, rightfully so. And he came to basically say thank you for that and to say we do face a common threat that is isn't a, a nuclear armed Iran. And uh, we will continue to be able to partner together in our democracies. So good things for him.
1: He also alluded to some domestic issues there in Israel. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's efforts for judicial reform, which has uh, been criticized by the Biden administration, your take on that?
3: Yeah, it's it's interesting. The Biden administration has criticized Netanyahu over and over again, and saying you're trying to interfere in an independent uh, judiciary. While at the same time, Democrats in the House and the Senate are talking about packing the court, and they're doing these new ethics charges on our Supreme Court. So literally, while Democrats in the Senate are attacking our court in the Supreme Court, they're also challenging Netanyahu, saying you can't speak ill of an independent judiciary. Uh, it's very bizarre on that. Quite frankly, Israel does have some issues they've got to deal with in their judiciary to make, make sure that it's clean lines, there are real boundaries, and their judiciary just can't grab any bill, any issue, even if it doesn't even come through the courts. They have the ability to just be able to grab wherever they want to and to be able to speak on it, that It's different than our judiciary, and it's understandable while Netanyahu is frustrated there to say, let the legislative branch do their job in the Knesset, let the court do theirs. Uh, So he's challenging that. There's a great debate happening in Israel. That's the nature of a a democracy. They'll get it resolved.
1: Is is it our role to weigh in on that?
3: It is not our role to be able to weigh in on that. Uh, We are friends, so we can obviously speak as friends do. Uh, But that is the people of Israel to be able to speak in on the direction of the future of Israel.
1: Uh, you mentioned Iran and the nuclear threat there. I want to play a, a short clip of the president's comments today. Clip number four, please.
2: Mr. Speaker, perhaps the greatest challenge Israel and the United States face at this time together is the Iranian nuclear program. Let there be no doubt. Iran does not strive to attend nuclear energy for peaceful purposes.
1: Now, Senator, that, that issue has not been that For it hasn't been in the forefront of the media and discussion because there's been so many other issues with Ukraine. Uh, But is that still a existential threat not only to Israel, but to the United States?
3: Tony, 100% it is. The destabilizing force in the Middle East is Iran. Iran is the one that's using all their money to be able to pour into Hezbollah, into terrorism, to destabilizing uh, what's happening in Lebanon, uh, to destabilizing Iraq and their government, to what's happening in Yemen and the attacks in Saudi Arabia. All of that is Iran that's doing that. And a uh, nuclear-capable Iran would absolutely use that power against Israel. They've been very clear. Iran wants to wipe Israel off the map. And Israel's is just saying, we take them seriously. When they say that, we don't think they're kidding. We think they're serious. And so they cannot be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. That has been the spoken statement of multiple presidents now in the United States. It's been the clear statement uh, from Israel as well to, to say, we understand what a Holocaust looks like very well. We cannot allow that to be able to happen in this day and age from Iran dropping a nuclear weapon. Uh, And as Netanyahu often says, uh, Israel is a small country. We are a one bomb country. Uh, If there is a nuclear weapon dropped on Israel, it wipes out the entire country. And so they take that threat seriously. We should as well. So
1: that said, Senator, the position of this administration, the Biden administration, is it supportive of that view?
3: It is verbally supportive, Tony, but as you and I both know, we are nervous about what they will actually do at that moment to be able to defend our ally Israel and to be able to make sure that Israel has the capabilities that they need to be able to defend themselves. Israel has not asked for American troops. They've not asked for any, to America to be involved, but they're asking for the ability to be able to help defend themselves. And that is something we need to make very, very clear to Israel that we do we do uh, stand with them in their own right to be able to protect their own people and their own sovereignty.
1: Uh, Senator I' want to go to another issue there in Israel in Samaria and Judea. Uh, you and I actually a number of years ago we traveled there together first I, I, right. among the first congressional groups that went into what's called the West Bank in the biblical area uh, we were in Ariel and uh, through your advocacy and others, we've seen uh, these uh, joint projects for medical research that have led to some pretty good stuff when it comes to cancer. Uh, at REL University, the Biden administration has now put in place uh, or actually with, uh, w- withdrawn or overturned a Trump era uh, policy that allowed for this joint ventures, these joint efforts, all because this is beyond what's called the green line. Um, are you concerned about the steps that the Biden administration are taking here?
3: Yeah, extremely concerned about it, so much so we're actually working on legislation to be able to clarify that American universities and other universities can continue to be able to partner with places like RAL University. MIT uh, in the United States currently has a partnership with REL University doing advanced research there. Uh, This is not some isolated university there. Half a million uh, Israelis live in this area. And as you and I have both seen, and REL is one of those communities that's just a, a manufacturing town like we have here in the United States, that Palestinians and Israelis literally working in the same factories in the same places, side by side, doing business together on it. And what this administration, the Biden administration is doing is they're trying to discourage that. Quite frankly, that's something that should be encouraged is that Palestinians and Israelis peacefully working side by side rather than trying to diminish universities and research and manufacturing locations working side by side. It is a peaceful operation to be able to get more Palestinians and Israelis working together than it is trying to be able to keep people separate. So literally what the Biden administration is doing is changing a Trump policy, saying that they want to, quote-unquote, support the Palestinians, but they're actually driving the wedge even deeper by doing it.
1: Well, the Palestinians like it because they have good-paying jobs. There's peace there in that community. Um, and so it's, a, it, it's really bringing these two communities together it's an economic development issue but it's also as i mentioned it's most of this is based on science medical science and you would think the party of science would be all about this but it looks like they're putting politics once again above people
3: yeah we've seen that way too often where politics is more important than people or science and political dogmatism on things where they'll just say this is a palestinian area so we're going to isolate this and literally pull jobs pull opportunity and pull scientific research away from that area. That's that that's the wrong way to be able to do it. We should actually be trying to get more people to do integrated business and to cooperate right. together.
1: Well, Senator, I'd uh, love to follow back up with you once you introduce that legislation so we can help you uh, with that.
3: Thanks, Tony. i will be glad to be able to have the help in any way we can. And thanks to so many of your listeners and viewers on it and the way they stand for life and for the values of Israel.
1: All right. Good to see you, James. Take care. Thank you. Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. All right, when we come back, we're going to be joined from Jerusalem. Chris Mitchell is going to be joining us live, so stay tuned. Don't go away.
0: Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this uh, Wednesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Lots of resources there for you. All right. Continuing our conversation regarding Israeli's president, Isaac Herzog, his speech today on Capitol Hill. It's a, a fairly rare occasion for a foreign dignitary to address a joint session of Congress. Pretty big deal. So today's event highlighted the special relationship between the United States and Israel. But among the subtext of the president's address are the tensions that exist between the Biden administration, the Democratic Party, and Israel. In particular, uh, regarding Israeli Prime Minister's uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, efforts for judicial reform. So how were today's events received in Israel? How do they view this relationship and the tensions? that's there. Joining me now with a live reaction from Jerusalem is CBN Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell. Chris, welcome to Washington Watch.
6: Tony, great to be with you again.
1: Hey, thanks so much for staying up late. I know it's about midnight over there in Israel. So what was the reaction there in Israel to uh, President Herzog's trip here to the United States?
6: Well, I think there were two reactions, uh, uh, Tony. First of all, I think there was across the Political spectrum. I think there was uh, unanimity about the uh, about the speech. Uh, Yair Lapid, he's the opposition leader. He said it was good. The fact that he uh, that Herzog had talked about democracy and about the issues that uh, Israel is going through with judicial reform. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu praised the speech as well, and he said that uh, glad that uh, the President Isaac Herzog had uh, raised the issue of a nuclear Iran, and he thought that was uh, very important. So I think generally uh, the speech was well received by uh, across the political spectrum here in Israel. On the other hand, uh, there is that tension that you mentioned between the White House and the Netanyahu uh, coalition and Benjamin Netanyahu personally. It's been seven months since uh, since the uh, Netanyahu's been in power and yet he's never received an invitation to the White House. They did have a phone call the other day, but even there, uh, it's unclear whether or not Netanyahu will be actually meeting with the president at the White House, maybe at the UN in September. So the rift between the Biden administration, the White House and the Netanyahu government remains.
1: So, so what do you think is driving that and what do Israelis see as the, the real uh, issue there?
6: Well, I think they, they, they disagree pretty strongly with uh, what the Netanyahu government is doing with judicial reform. Uh, in fact, uh, just in a few days, there's probably got to be a vote on one of the biggest measures of that reform, which is the fact that, uh, you know, whether or not a Supreme Court justice here in Israel can actually strike down a law, whether it's reasonable or unreasonable. Uh, you know, that's something that uh, we don't have in the U.S. Supreme Court. And so they, they're trying to rectify that. And ironically, some of the people that are opposing this legislation actually proposed that kind of reform several years ago. Uh, so there's quite a rift going on. And I think it goes on deeper, Tony, than just the, uh, the idea of judicial reform. Uh, there's demonstrations that have been going on, some of them funded from international sources, for seven months now. And it's not just judicial reform. There really seems to be an idea to try to undermine the current coalition government. And uh, and maybe overturn it.
1: I want to I want to ask you about that. But first, I want to go back for just a moment for the benefit of our, our viewers and listeners. I- explain the relationship between the president, the Israeli president and the Israeli prime minister.
6: Well, the president is really a ceremonial office. Uh, the one thing that he does have in, in politics is when there's election, he meets with all the political parties and decides which party can become Uh, you know, try to form a coalition government. But other than that, it's really a ceremonial office. And it's uh, really the prime minister who's leading and governing over here. So to have Isaac Herzog's greatest speeches he made today, it's really not Israel's leader. uh, It's really a ceremonial office. Um, So there is a a big difference between uh you know the president over here and the prime minister
1: because in the past it's been the israeli prime minister in fact i've been in the chamber before when pre- when prime minister netanyahu spoke to a to a joint session so it, it would normally be kind of him that would be speaking uh on behalf of the nation
6: exactly and and that's what uh prime minister netanyahu did uh, back in 2015 probably when you were there in, in the uh, chambers at that time. Uh, there's a sense by some people over here that the Biden administration does not want Netanyahu over there to uh, to make his case about Iran and other issues, and uh, they would rather have him over here and uh, and not be in the spotlight in, in Washington like he was back in 2015. Uh, you know, Tony, remember that uh, many of the people in the Biden White House right now were the same people that right. were in the Obama White House back in 2015 and uh, And there really was a rift then between Netanyahu and President Obama and his White House. There seems to be the same thing going on right now
1: yeah, and and he really captured the media with his speech. So back on the judicial reform uh, initiative of uh, the Prime minister, how did the uh, how does the Israeli public take the United States that has its own issues? i mean we we've been having battles over the Supreme Court in the last multiple election cycles. How do they respond to us, kind of sticking our nose in your judicial business?
6: Well, it was interesting. Senator Langford made that point as well. I mean, the the administration and others are, are saying that you know you got to take care of uh, you have consensus here in judicial reform while they are trying to change the ca- the character of the U.S. Supreme Court. I think a lot of Israelis would uh, prefer that the U.S. would stay out of the uh, the internal affairs. Uh, of uh, of here in Israel. This was a democratically elected uh, coalition government. Uh, A lot of people may not not like the makeup, but it's really what the Israeli people have voted on. And I think they would prefer that they could settle their own issues without outside interference and pressure from the Biden administration.
1: Uh, Chris, we're up against a break, but very quickly, how can our viewers and listeners be praying for you and for Israel?
6: Well, pray for wisdom. You can pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and you can pray that that Israel would be protected from outside influence. Uh, Right now, they have internal divisions, but they also have external threats like Hezbollah, Iran, uh, and others, and uh, pray for the protection of Israel at this sensitive and very delicate time.
1: All right, Chris Mitchell will do that. And again, thanks so much for staying up late and uh, joining us tonight.
6: Good to be with you, Tony.
1: All right. Always great to see you. Chris Mitchell, and a great reporter. You, you should check out his stuff, CBN News. Uh, he gives a lot of reports from Israel. All right. Coming up next, we're going to get the latest on the National Defense Authorization Act that is over in the Senate. A number of amendments there, Democrats' control. What does it look like? What's the timeline? What are the prospects that we might have a good NDAA? Senator Mike Lee joins us after the break, so don't go away.
5: Get this free guide at frc.org slash to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
7: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back. This is
1: Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we were discussing, in fact, we took the entire program yesterday. Don't do that very often, but this is such an important issue, the National Defense Authorization Act. It is the measure that directs the funding and therefore the policy of our military. Well, last week, the House of Representatives passed the strongest version of the National Defense Authorization Act that I've seen in years, which essentially returns the military from the, the wokeness that we've seen invade in the last couple of years back to its core mission, to be prepared to fight and win America's wars if necessary. Now, the Biden administration has intentionally turned our military into a laboratory for woke social experimentation that distracts from the military's core mission. Now, debate has begun in the Senate regarding their version of the NDAA. Joining me now to, uh, to give us an update and expectations in the Senate chamber is Utah Senator Mike Lee. He serves on four committees, including the Senate Budget Committee and the Joint Economic Committee. Senator Lee, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Great to see you, Tony. Thank you. So the Senate began debate on the NDAA yesterday taking on amendments. Give us the latest of where things stand.
8: Well, we started processing amendments. We started casting votes. We just finished casting a vote moments ago. Senator Rand Paul had an amendment that simply asked us to clarify that the NATO treaty, Article 5 of the NATO treaty, can't take us to war. It can't declare war. It can't be interpreted to supersede Congress's obligation, Congress's power to decide whether to declare war. Sadly, that one went down. Only 16 Republicans voted for it. All Democrats and the remainder of the Republicans uh, voted against it. Wow. Uh, We're processing other amendments uh, uh, today, tomorrow and into next week.
1: So let's let's get your thoughts on the House version of the National Defense Authorization Act.
8: Yeah, so the House version of the National Defense Authorization Act is terrific. It's not a perfect document, as uh, pretty much no bill is, but it achieves some major gains. Uh, uh, One of the more significant gains, one of the the gains that I'm most pleased about is the fact that they passed language in the form of an amendment that was still part of the bill when they passed it, that ends the Department of Defense policy violating uh, at least the spirit if not also the letter of 10 U.S.C. section 1093. Which prohibits the use of U.S. military funds, Department of Defense funds, uh, uh, for abortions, and uh, you know we've got this policy right now in which the Department of Defense is being too cute by half uh, and trying to skirt that law by saying that they're going to pay for abortion-related travel and leave time. If someone in the military wants to get an abortion in a neighboring state, all they have to do is indicate as much. And they can receive three weeks of paid leave time and have all their travel expenses reimbursed by the United States government. Uh, This isn't right. And uh, the House version of the NDAA undoes
1: that. That that was never the case before. That's never happened before.
8: No, no, it's never happened before, in part because people who ran the Pentagon were appropriately focused on fighting wars and protecting America's national security, not on a, a, a woke agenda.
1: But would um, you also say that they, they, they abided by the law? I mean, you, you yes. made reference to the, the section of law that restricts the expenditure of government funds to facilitate abortion. See,
8: when you're focused on America's national security, you're also going to abide by the law rather than looking for ways to flout the law, to skirt the law, which is exactly what they're doing with this barbaric policy. So I applaud the House of Representatives for sticking to its guns and for taking that
1: authority away. So what's what's, the the way forward in making sure that is in the final version of the NDAA?
8: Here's the funny thing, Tony. So the the version of the NDAA that we're considering in the Senate this week is completely different than the House version of the bill. I'm not sure why we're doing it that way. That's the way Chuck Schumer decided to bring it up. Uh, Ordinarily, if the House had already acted, I would think we should start with the House version, but we're not doing it that way. What's going to happen now is that the Senate will work on its version of the bill. And once it's done, then it will probably go to a conference committee where there are conferees, as they're called, uh, key members of both chambers appointed to serve on a committee that decide which provisions passed by the House and which provisions passed by the Senate uh, will become part of the final negotiated deal.
1: So as you just described, this amendment by uh, Senator Paul that uh, did not pass And the threshold I've seen thus far for the amendments has been 60 votes. It's unlikely that if the the, the Senate tries to push these same types of votes, Republicans, that they would would pass. So would it not be the best approach to have Senate Republicans stand with what the House did and let them slug this out in conference?
8: Yes, that's my view. And I believe that's the view of uh, the overwhelming majority of my Republican colleagues in the Senate, which is there's a huge win in the House. Uh, knowing that the Democrats control uh, the Senate, they have a a majority in the Senate, it would be dangerous and counterproductive for us to take up that same amendment here, knowing that uh, it is likely to fail. Uh, And it's likely to fail whether they set the vote at a simple majority threshold uh, or at a 60-vote threshold. Either way, the Democrats are going to have enough votes uh, in order to defeat it. It's better to go into the conference committee posture in a situation where the House has passed something, but the Senate hasn't taken it up, than it is to go into it under the posture that the House has passed something and the Senate has voted it down. Yes. And so that's why it's it's unlikely to come up in the Senate version at okay. this stage. Of the so, S-
1: Senator uh, Lee, anything that our listeners and viewers should be doing right now? Very quickly, we're up against a break, but anything we should be doing?
8: Viewers should be making sure that they support Senator Tuberville and that they call their home state senators. And encourage their home state senators to support the heroic stand taken by my friend and colleague, Senator Tommy Tuberville, who has been standing up for the law. He's been standing up for unborn human life uh, and taking a position that's drawn him a lot of criticism, including, sadly, some criticism from among Senate Republicans, friendly fire
1: that doesn't feel so friendly. Senator, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Folks, stick with us.
7: Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
1: Washington Watch, good to have you with us. All right, you can still sign that petition uh, to Lloyd Austin regarding the woke policies in the military. Just text WOKE, W-O-K-E, to 67742. That's 67742, the word woke. uh, That uh, speaks to all of those issues that House Republicans addressed in the NDAA. We talked about that uh, extensively yesterday. All right. Uh, good news coming out of uh, my home state of Louisiana. They have now joined 20 other states in protecting young children from irreversible transgender procedures when state lawmakers overrode the governor's veto of House Bill 648. That's Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards. Now, we've been tracking this story on Washington Watch, and I want to thank all of uh, our viewers and listeners who, who prayed for this outcome, and those in Louisiana who contacted their legislators. It made a difference. Joining me now to discuss this is the author of this legislation, Louisiana State Representative Gabe Furman. He represents the second, 22nd District of Louisiana. Representative Ferment, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you. I want to congratulate you on uh, getting this legislation not only passed once, but uh, it's a heavy lift to override the governor of Louisiana, being that they uh, they have a lot of power and stroke. So uh,
9: congratulations on getting this done. Thank you. Yeah, I think this is only the third time a gubernatorial veto has been overridden in the last 50 years. So you know, it, it was a historic moment yesterday. And, uh, Tony, I, I don't know if you followed the... Uh, this bill, but it was a lot of ups and downs. You know, there for a, a moment we thought it was dead. Uh, Senate Health and Welfare Committee uh, killed the bill temporarily, but you know the outcry from the public was just so great that uh, it was resurrected, and you know here here we are today.
1: So, what was the sense from your uh, your colleagues? It uh, looked like you moved pretty quickly to to vote to override the governor in both chambers. Now, there were other bills that did not passed, but this one did. So it seems to be that there is uh, a lot of unity around the need for this legislation.
9: There is. And I I think the vote yesterday reflected the will of the people. Um, And, you know, what we were focused on is if you look at a map of the states that have uh, banned these sort of horrific procedures on children and, and passed this legislation, Louisiana was the only state in the deep south that had not stepped up and done that. So Look, we knew that if we did not override the governor's veto, that Louisiana would would really become a a mecca for these mutilating surgeries and uh, castrating drugs. So it was just so important that we got it done. And, you know, I commend the representatives who listen to the people. And that's what this is about is, uh, you know, Louisiana Family Forum and all of these grassroots groups that stepped up. And, you know, the senators said they have never seen anything like it, just thousands of calls and emails. And it really made a difference and really was the deciding factor.
1: Well, It's so good to see it. I'm I'm grateful for the persistence of the legislature on this issue. Do you foresee this? uh, Louisiana, we have elections this fall. Do do you see this as uh, the protection of children and what's happening in our schools? Because there was other legislation that did not uh, pass uh, pronouns such like such uh, matters as that.
9: Do you see this as being an election issue this fall? Without a doubt, and so a couple of years ago, we had a similar experience with the bill that uh, simply would have prevented boys from competing against girls in high school sports, and there were some representatives that uh, made the wrong vote on that bill, and you know they suffered the consequences. And I have no doubts that you'll see the uh, same results this election cycle. In fact, you know it's we've got state statewide legislative uh, elections, and uh, all the statewide offices are, are up for grabs. So. I, I think this, along with the anti-grooming school bills and uh, some of the bills designed to, uh, you know, keep pornography out of our libraries, people are focused on that. And I think it's going to uh, lead to uh, hopefully more conservative, family friendly uh, elected officials in Louisiana.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And, uh We'll work to that end. Gabe, thanks so much for uh, joining us today with this update. And again, congratulations uh, on a job well done.
9: Thank you, Tony. And look, we sure appreciate everybody's prayers and their uh, hard work to get this done. Thank you.
1: All right. Gabe Furman, uh, the author of the uh, SAFE Act v- bill, the Louisiana's version of it. Uh, very quickly, I'm going to bring in uh, Travis Weber, vice president of policy here at the Family Research Council. Um Travis, uh, welcome back to Washington Watch. As I mentioned, Louisiana now joins 20 states that have these policies in place. This This is growing.
4: It is growing. And, Tony, I mean, this has occurred all in the last few years. Arkansas was the first one several years ago, and then we saw one of these passed in Alabama. And then this year, there's actually 23. If you classify related bills, for instance, giving uh, children a cause of action against for medical malpractice against providers, 23 related bills to the topic that have been passed. And about 20 states cover the, the basic prohibition on gender transition or hormones, puberty blockers. So. There's a massive upswell, and this, this is driven by the people. Americans are tired of seeing these ideologies take over, the elites pushing them on unwilling uh, a people who do not want to be have this ideology shoved down their throat, and so they're speaking up through their elected officials.
1: And you mentioned Arkansas. That was a prototype that, Louise, that uh, the Family Research Council created, and it took us a while. We had to override a veto there in Arkansas. Uh, we also, your shop also leaned in pretty heavy there in Louisiana.
4: Yeah, Louisiana. I mean, it's really good to see. As as you were discussing the veto override effort, um, we testified, we submitted testimony, for, uh, testimony from Jennifer Bowens expressing um, our view that the the what the, the science has been politicized here. And so, when we hear claims about the science and and research, it's actually political ideology that's often injected into right. that. But you know, a lot of Tony, a lot of uh, folks nationally engaged in this now. Family Policy Alliance, other friends out there really engage on this issue thankfully um, you know helpful helping the American people understand what's going on here and how to make their voices heard
1: well once again a great job by your team and uh, getting the facts out there getting the testimony and then of course our grassroots team yeah. turning out uh, votes yep yeah. thank you it's good All effort right. thanks Travis and folks again thank you for weighing in on this in Louisiana your phone calls do make a difference. All right. The House Oversight Committee heard public testimony this afternoon from IRS whistleblowers previously uh, that was given behind closed door testimony about the mishandling of the Hunter Biden criminal investigation that has led for calls to impeach the Attorney General Merrick Garland. Well, in today's hearing, neither whistleblower backed out from such accusations against the Department of Justice. And the committee chairman, James Comer, vowed to continue his investigation following such revelations. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congresswoman Lisa McClain. She serves on several committees, including the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. She was in the hearing today. She represents the ninth Congressional District of Michigan. Congresswoman McClain, welcome back to Washington Watch.
10: Always good to be here.
1: So you were a part of this explosive uh, hearing today. What did we learn from this public testimony?
10: Well, we're still in it. It's still ongoing. And what we've learned is what we thought to be true all along, but we got confirmation. And, and that is that the DOJ and the FBI didn't follow procedures. They slow walked this investigation for Hunter Biden um, to the point where the statute of limitations ran out. And quite frankly, Tony, we proved, I think, that we definitely have a two-tier justice system here in the United States, unfortunately.
1: That appears to be exactly right. It's troubling, it's uh, disheartening, and it's something that has to be addressed. What is the way forward to, to try to bring this back in, in balance so that justice is truly blind in this country. And every American, whether their name is Biden or Trump <laughs> or whomever, is treated the same way.
10: Right. And you're spot on. I mean, justice is supposed to be blind. And we must restore some confidence in our justice system, whether it's the DOJ, the FBI, or the IRS. Everyone needs to be treated fairly. And right now, I think that what we're uncovering, especially to the American people, is that you're not. I mean, one of the the issues that we saw today was a search warrant was issued. Typically, when search warrants are issued, uh, you're not given a heads up. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case for the Biden family. Um, If you and I, you or I owed hundreds of millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars, excuse me, on our tax returns, I highly doubt the IRS would slow walk the investigation to let the statute of limitations run out. And that's exactly what we got testimony from actual witnesses, right, the, witness, the whistleblowers that were actually working on this case. So this isn't hearsay. These are two individuals that bravely came forward um, to tell the truth on what's going on. And I believe them coming forward, them telling the truth, with all of the ne- negative repercussions that I've heard today, um, restores some faith that justice will prevail. prevail. And there are people are, uh, that are out there that will tell the truth. And that's what we need to get back to. You know, they have the traditional American values and they still believe in the rule of law.
1: Yeah, and that's why we still need to have men and women like that serving in our government, in our military. That's part of our concern about these woke policies of this administration that is uh, forcing some out, whether it's COVID or or whatever. But I want to go to something today that came up in in the testimony as I was listening to it. According to today's testimony, Attorney General Garland, under oath, under oath, led Congress to believe that the case in, in involving Hunter Biden was insulated from impop, improper political influence. But that is not true, according to today's testimony.
10: Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is these whistleblowers, have, their testimony has not changed one time. Right. And they've been questioned and we questions. They are steadfast on their testimony, whether it's Merrick Garland or Director Weiss, their stories continue to change. And at the end of the day, you work for the American people. The number one thing we expect from you is to tell the truth. And it's sad to see that those individuals um, struggle with that.
1: What was the most surprising I know you've had you've you've seen a lot of this testimony, you've heard some of the testimony. Was there anything today that you heard that you that was just surprising?
10: You know, it's just a culmination of if it was just one thing, I think that would be enough. But it's the layer upon layer that makes it so disturbing. Whether it's um, 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 influence peddling, you know, whether it's the shell companies, whether it's the money uh, being being transferred, um, whether it's the lying, whether it's the oh, I I do have the jurisdiction by director wise to mm, no, I really don't. To, I mean, it, it's unbelievable the amount of layers of cover up that is happening with, with the IRS and the FBI and the DOJ just to protect the Biden family. I mean, and we always say it, the cover-up is worse than the crime. And rest assured, uh, Chairman Comer and the rest of us on the Oversight Committee, we are going to continue to pull the threads to t- to show and to tell the American people just exactly how corrupt these departments are, And perhaps maybe we should take a look at some funding and maybe we should take a look at some replacements of these people because justice is supposed to be blind and the American people are supposed to have confidence. And right now, neither one of those things are happening.
1: Uh, Congressman Clay Higgins from my home state of Louisiana, who was a part of the hearing today, uh, made reference to this and, and others did as well, that there's concern that President Biden, Uh, has been compromised. That This links to him, where there's a lot of focus on Hunter, but the money that came into that family and the the talk of the quote-unquote big guy. Are you concerned that our president may be compromised by communist China or one of these other countries?
10: Gravely concerned. In fact, um, in one of my line of questioning, what I'll be asking is, Hunter Biden says directly, I'm sitting here with text messages on WhatsApp, saying, I'm sitting with my dad waiting for the payment, right? We have actual evidence that shows that after these text messages happened or these WhatsApp messages happened, monies were deposited into the Biden bank account. Remember, this the majority of this happened while uh, Biden, Joe Biden was vice president. Joe Biden is in bed with China. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but China is not our friend. They are our adversary. They are coming after us educationally, militarily, and economically. And you're get, you're in a scheme to get payments from one of our biggest adversaries. And I'm not buying that the president didn't know what he's going, on, what was going on. If that's the case. Clearly, he has dementia or Alzheimer's and should be removed. Neither answer is a good answer. Yeah. So I'm gravely concerned. I mean, I
1: think I would be keenly aware if one of my children were (laughs) doing business with Planned Parenthood or trying to do some kind of scheme with the left. Uh, Given who I am, I think I would know what they were up to. So very quickly, Lisa, where you would because
10: you're a responsible parent.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. I'm sorry. You
10: would because you're a a responsible parent. So even even if he tries to use that excuse, it's a poor excuse.
1: It is. It is. So where uh, very quickly, where does the House Oversight and Accountability Committee go next in this investigation?
10: We continue to pile up our evidence using our, uh, you know, during these investigations and during these hearings and, and during all this questionings to to actually present a package to show the American people what is truly going on to have some justice. And perhaps if the evidence is bad enough, maybe we should some replace some people at the IRS, the yeah. DOJ and the FBI. But let's get the facts and that's exactly what we're uncovering today.
1: Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. But uh, again, as I've been talking to the leadership, just grateful for the persistence, even though the legacy media is hounding you and is <laughs> turning a deaf eye, a deaf ear and a blind eye to the facts. Be persistent. Thank you. Always great we to will. see you. Thanks for joining us today.
10: God bless. Thank you.
1: All right. Uh, Congresswoman Lisa McLean of Mc- Michigan. Folks, we're out of time for today. Lord Willem will be back again tomorrow, and I hope you will as well. Until then, I leave you once again with the encouraging words that the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported